So we're talking about overflow this week. We've been making the case that Jesus is the overflow of the love that comes from God's heart. Now, let's be clear. Jesus didn't just show up when he became incarnate, when he became the baby Jesus. He was there from the beginning, right? Um, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were created. Um, so we know that God was there, but he showed up for us when he became a baby, and it was this outpouring of love from God's heart. Because, you know, and I've, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again, you know that love with skin on it is different. And I like to run a little exercise when I say something like that. So turn to your right or turn to your left or both and say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. It doesn't matter if you know him, just say, I love you, brother, I love you, sister. All right, there you go. <clears throat> Excellent, excellent. Okay, now, I'm making the case that love is different with skin on it. So this time I want you to do the same thing, but put your hand on the person's face and be like, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Go ahead, do it. Go ahead, go ahead. You know what? What I love is watching two guys who don't know each other look at each other like, <laughs> one starts reaching, the other one's like, oh, we really, we're going to do that? The other guys, the pastor said we're supposed to touch. You can take your hands away though. Um, you're still holding on to the person's face next to you. You're a weirdo. Um, anyway, it's going to be weird today. All right. So, uh, Listen, uh, my wife every year makes this, um, she makes these cookies at Christmas. They're called Vanilla Sockin'. And that, for me, like that's the incarnation of love when Vanilla Sockin' show up. And just to be clear, I got to get there before my kids do because they will eat every single one and not leave me one and be like, no, sorry, Dad, you should have come home. So Vanilla Sockin', when I was growing up, my grandmother would take all the pomegranate seeds out of a pomegranate and have them in a little bowl. That was love for me. Because have you ever seen pomegranates? Those are the craziest fruit on the planet. They like hold onto their seeds. Like, no, don't take them. It's a mess. When somebody does that for you, that's love right there. There's certain things that we have that incarnate love in our lives. And, and, and it changes who we are when we know that somebody loves us so much that they're going to do something like that. Well, for us as Christians, it's the fact that Jesus, God, decided to come and be a human being. But it changes us a bit. So let's ask the question, what happens when you come in contact with the living, breathing Jesus? And this started right from the beginning of the story. We're going to spend time in Matthew 2, and then we're going to spend time in another book that I know you might find weird, but we'll get there. Um, it starts in Matthew 2 with the story of the wise men, and it shows us that a few things happen when we come in contact with Jesus. The first thing that happens is that we question everything we knew. We question everything we knew the moment that we meet Jesus. And it starts like this in Matthew 2, 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. So these are guys who watched the stars, and the stars changed. That's pretty big. It takes, it takes eons of time for, for the light from stars to change and move and go. And these guys who watched the stars saw a new star and saw something change. And it changed what they thought. This doesn't happen. They had to find out. Curiosity. And I got to tell you, curiosity converts as many people as the church does. 
Because, and this is why we say we want people to love well. Because if you love well, you don't even have to invoke the name of Jesus. People are like, there's something different about you. What is that? Hopefully that's a good statement, by the way. But there's something different. Curiosity converts as many people as the church does. And these guys were curious. They saw this star. So they show up in Jerusalem, and this is what they say. Probably not the best opening line. Where's the newborn king of the Jews? (laughs) We saw a star. It rose. And we have to come and worship him. Now, it's a great question, except when you say it to the current king, who's a little concerned, right? So they're like looking around like, hey, there's a new king who was born. Everyone's like, no, there's Herod, who by the way, not the nicest guy, go easy. And they're like, yeah, 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 but we saw a star and we got to see this new king. So there might be an old king, but we need to see the new king. And they said, why don't you go talk to the, the current king and see how that goes? So they showed up and it says this, King Herod was deeply disturbed. When he, you think? Like, where's the king? Not you. There's another one. He's got a star. He's a baby. Herod's like, oh. And I love it how it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem, right? Because the way that the king goes, so does the court go, so does the city go, so does the country go. Herod was not the kindest of kings. So I can see when they're like, hey, where's the king of the Jews? You know, the people who hang out with Herod are like, mm-hmm. Like, easy, he's right, he's right there. And they're like, no, 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 not that one, another one. So let's talk about Herod just for a moment so you can know what kind of person we are dealing with. He was brutal, brutal. And I don't mean that, well, there's no way to say that in a nice way. Brutal is not a nice word. He's not brutally kind. So some of these are just for me because I find them interesting. <laughs> that turn of phrase is fascinating to me, brutally kind. Anyway, um, he was a brutal man. He killed his father-in-law, several of his 10 wives, and two of his sons. Not a good dude. He ignored the laws of God to suit himself and choose the favor of Rome over even his own people. In fact, his heavy taxes that went to pay for his lavish projects forced an unfair burden on the Jewish citizen. His lavish projects, like Masada, which we'll go see this summer, like Masada, which is his summer palace that he never even went to. Spring Palace, I think they call it. He never even went to it. The Herodian, which was another thing outside of Bethlehem, what he did in Jerusalem, he weighed heavy taxes because he wanted Rome to be impressed. He didn't care about his people. Well, these, these wise men were in front of Herod going, hey, we, we don't care about all that. We know that there's a new king and he's got a star and we're interested in talking to him. You see, meeting Jesus simply changes what you think you know about things. It changes it completely. And it leads to a change in direction. When you meet the living God, you change direction in your life. Every time someone comes in contact with the living God, there is a change of trajectory. So many things change. I I work at La Sierra University, and they run a Master's of Divinity program. And I got to tell you, most of the students that are in that program, they're not 23-year-olds fresh out of college. They are people who have met Jesus and said, I've got to change what I'm doing in my life. There's, you know, insurance adjusters who've gone back into ministry, plumbers, you name it. There are people who are like, I can't do this anymore. It changed my direction completely. In the story, it goes like this, Matthew 2, 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He doesn't want everybody talking about this. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared, right? They changed the direction of their lives because they saw the star. 
Then he tells them this in Matthew 2.8. He says, um, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Liar. Clearly, that's not what he wants to do. He's got to stop the change that is coming, and he is desperate to stop it. This is often the case when change is coming. And, and I'm going to ask a weird question. My question is this, how does the church handle the coming of Jesus? And it's a fair question because the coming of Jesus into someone's life, into a community's life, into a church's life, the coming of Jesus means that all bets are off. All the things that were might not be the same anymore if we're going to follow who God is and what He's doing. And that, that is unusual and unnerving to people often because we get really used to our routines and we get really used to our systems. What happens when Jesus shows up and disrupts the system, even a system that was set up for Him? Which, by the way, was the Jewish system set up for the Messiah. Messiah shows up. The Jewish system is like, we're pretty good here. We've got an economy. We've got everything. Don't mess with us. How would the church receive Jesus today? Matthew 2, 9, after the interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. This is weird. They continued the journey because they had a purpose, and their purpose was to be with Jesus. Is that our purpose as well? Because you see, when you meet Jesus, you care about different things. The things that you thought you cared about, you don't care about so much anymore. In fact, it says it like this in Matthew. It says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Then they entered the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then, and I love this, they opened their treasure chest. We all have treasure chests. We all have things where we put the stuff that really is meaningful to us whether it's our bank accounts, whether it's, it's the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, there's something that we love that helps define us. And we put it in our treasure chest. They open their treasure chest because you care about different things. And the way you care about things is different when you meet Jesus. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, it doesn't matter what those things were. What it matters is how expensive they were. He gave them the very, they gave him the very best that they could offer him. A ransom, a king's ransom in gifts because they didn't care about stuff anymore because stuff is just stuff. And when you meet Jesus, you realize that stuff, that's going away. That stuff, that doesn't matter. The stuff that matters is the stuff that comes from Jesus, right? That's what you experience. That's what you experience in the change in how you feel about the things in your life when you meet Jesus, when you meet the living God, love with skin on it. And you know what you do? When you meet Jesus, you experience the supernatural. And this is true. And I get it. We're not like a supernatural bunch. You guys are like, easy, Pastor Tim. Don't be talking all crazy. Can we just make an an ascent here. Can we ascent to the fact that this whole story is crazy? Like it didn't, we're not starting with a reasonable premise, right? We all get that about the Christmas story, about the story of the nativity. It starts with Mary, who's a virgin with child. We're starting from the supernatural. We are, that's where we begin. You experience the supernatural when you come in contact with the living, breathing God, because only a supernatural thing could have made that happen, right? So don't be fooled. Don't be like, hey, we like the Christmas story. Stop talking about the Holy Spirit doing things. 
<laughs> it's you, like you, you're forgetting. You're forgetting. That's where it starts. It's not reasonable. There's nothing reasonable about this story. It doesn't start in a reasonable place. It doesn't start with, well, there was a woman and she was going to Bethlehem. That's not where it starts. It starts with an angel showing up and going, God would like to get you pregnant. Okay, so, so all you reasonable Christians, time to become unreasonable. Because if you're going to believe in this God, you've got to be unreasonable. We are not, our premise is not reasonable. It's not normal. It's absurd. But it's true. <laughs> After the interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped in a place where the child was. Not reasonable. How about this, Matthew 2.12? When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. Why? Because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Not reasonable. Not reasonable. True, but not reasonable. I don't know why we spend all of our time trying to reason this story into the lives of other people. Because it's not reasonable. It is the fantastic. It is the absurd. It is the supernatural. And it is the thing that gives us meaning and life. Right? So, so maybe it's not about winning an argument. Maybe it's about falling so in love with this God who became a man, absurd, that other people get curious about how that means something to us and how it changes the way we act and respond and live and love. Maybe that's what this story is about. It's not, well, you know, it could have happened. No, it couldn't have, unless it did. And the only one who could make it happen is God. So let's accept that right from the beginning. Let's accept the premise. It's not reasonable. But when was faith ever reasonable? It's a piece that passes understanding, not a piece that makes, you know, makes everything make sense. Sometimes it's peace in the midst of deep chaos in your life because it's supernatural. That's what it is. And it all leads to one thing. It always leads us to worship. Always, and now I'm jumping out of Matthew. I'm jumping to Revelation. I know I don't do that that often, but we're going to Revelation because there's this text in Revelation that is the absurd and supernatural worship of God that I think we need to assent to right now. It comes to us in Revelation 4, and it starts like this. Each of these living beings had six wings. You with me? Right, already, like, no, no I don't even know how that works. Like, what's the, what's the physics of that? I don't know. I don't know. Had six wings, and their wings Covered with eyes, because you need more. I don't know why covered with eyes. And I, like, like, we all have pictures of this, right? And most of them come from mailers that we get in Revelation seminars. Like, we can acknowledge that. Same guy draws all those. I don't know who he is, but he's had a good living for a while. I don't want to show you pictures of that because I want you to think about this in your mind's eye. This is as creative as God can be. Use your imagination a little bit. I don't know what this looks like, but it sounds awesome. Six wings, eyes all over the wings, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying one thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. You think our praise songs are boring? This one, forever. When people are like, I don't like that song. It doesn't have enough verses. I'm like, really? 
because in heaven, they don't even have screens. Like you're going to have to learn the words <laughs> like every time, but it's all right. It's one verse. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The one who always was, who is, and who is to come. And then it goes on. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to this one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne. So these guys show up with their wings and their eyes all crazy, and they're all singing, holy, 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 and the elders are like, done. And they fall down on the ground. They put their, they put their, um, they put their crowns before him, and they say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. This is absurd, and it's awesome. Right? This is just as people will read Revelation and be like, I don't know, man. I don't know what he was smoking. That's no crazier than the story of a baby being born. God is a baby. It's just as supernatural. It is just as unreasonable. And that's okay. Because that's what we believe in. Right? And we can walk around saying we're super reasonable people. No, we're not. Listen, I can't even get you people to park in the right spaces. You're not reasonable people. Right? Now, there's a lot of work done within that unreasonability, right? There's good theology and there's wonderful exegesis of Scripture. We do all that. But, man, our premise, let's accept it. Our premise is so unreasonable that they had to come up with Santa as an antidote to our premise. And that's weird, right? So is ours. I love, I love what Matthew, and I'm going to read it again, what Matthew 2.11 says. They entered the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary. First thing they did, they just bowed down and worshiped him. Because every encounter with the living God moves us to worship. That's because of the reckless love that God has for us, the, per, the pursuing love that God has for us, his unwillingness to let us go, his unwillingness to let us be okay with reason because he wants to move us into a different place. He wants to move us into the unreasonable. He wants your life to be abundant, not scarce, but abundant. He wants everything to change in your life, your direction, the way you think about things, the way you feel about things, the way you see the world. He wants you to accept the unreasonability of a story that's just about love for you. And it had to be unreasonable because you won't accept reasonable love. Because we live our lives going, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Yeah, you're right. So God took the very basis of what we say and said, you're right, you're not worthy, but I love you anyway and I'll die for all of you. Unreasonable, reckless love for us. Come on. Every encounter with God moves us to worship because he's the only one worthy of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. You are worthy to be praised because you created all things because you pleased to create all things. Unreasonable and true. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being worthy. Thank you for being reckless. Thank you for loving us with with everything you are in an unreasonable way. May we accept 
that we are unreasonably loved and live unreasonable lives because they express through our skin the love that you have for us. In your name I pray, amen.